It is Salute to the Inventors Day on Dead Rabbit Radio, and we're going to take a look at some of the wackiest inventions ever. Not really, just three, just three that I found. First off, is it possible to make medicine in your own home? Spoiler alert, it is not, but somebody tried. Then we travel to Okefenokee Swamp to meet a man who was on the cusp of unlocking the secrets of perpetual motion. And then finally, we take a look at one of my personal theories. Have I figured out how to build a real-life UFO? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun, because that's what we're always doing here at Dead Rabbit Radio. Not just a couple pounds of fun, it has to be a literal ton. First off, let's give a shout out to one of our Thanksgiving live stream supporters. You love him because he's square. Give it up for Khaki Cube. Woo! Coming on into Dead Rabbit Command. Now, Kaki, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, 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 really helps out a lot. Kaki, we're going to go ahead and toss you the keys, catch them in your little QB arms, to the Dead Rabbit Dirgeable. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to a laboratory. The reason why we're headed out to a laboratory is we're about to meet Dr. Betty Martini. Now, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. That's a made-up name. I don't think so, because Dr. Betty Martini gives us the real scoop, gives us the thing that the lamestream media won't tell you. Because here's the thing. (laughs) They usually cater to facts and stuff that can be verified, but Dr. Betty Martini has teamed up with one of our go-to websites when you want conspiracy theory content that is completely fictional. I'm surprised they don't cover stuff that's going on in the world of Artemis Fowl on this website, darkoutpost.com. Dr. Betty Martini has discovered a way to make your own hydrocloxochlorine. Something like that. You're like, Jason, if you're going to talk about medical stuff, learn how to pronounce it. You know that stuff that they are saying helps with COVID? Okay, YouTube algorithm and Spotify. I'm not saying that this actually works. I don't know. I've never really... I don't know. But anyways, there was a talk that there is something called hydrocloxochloroquine. That's close. (laughs) That was a little bit closer. Now the algorithm picked up on it that it's an anti-malarial drug that people were saying was a cheap alternative. Like, you didn't need to get the vaccine. Again, please, don't don't destroy the podcast because I'm saying this. This is what people are saying. You didn't need to get a vaccine. That was all big pharma. You could simply take hydrocloxychloroquine and that it's like an anti-malarial drug and it would stop COVID dead in its tracks. You guys are familiar with all this stuff. No, Nobody's talking about this anymore, right? It's been like two weeks and everyone's like, ah, forget it. We're all focused on Ukraine. But for a while there, this was big stuff. Hydrocloxychloroquine was an alternative, supposedly an alternative way to combat COVID. Well, maybe you don't want to spend money and go into the doctor and get this hydrocloxychloroquine. Dr. Betty Martini, she said, you know what? You can make it yourself. If you don't want to go to the doctor and get this prescribed, you can actually make this medicine yourself. It's a simple 19-step process 
that I will post on darkoutpost.com. I mean, I know whenever I think of my medical needs, I like to go to a fringe conspiracy site to figure out how to take care of it. I will say this. It's a 19-step process. And step. let's jump ahead to step 18. You know, let's get to the good stuff. Step 18, it actually sets the stage for the other steps that we will look at. Step 18, this is step 18. So you've read 17 steps before you got to this quote. For the record, I am not a doctor of any sorts and offer this from my own data research, unquote. Now, data research, that's a great phrase, right? It's better than just regular research. I do find it interesting that it's after going through the first 17 steps that Dr. Betty Martini informs us she's not a doctor of any sorts. Don't know why doctor's in the front of her name. Maybe that's the name her parents gave her. Maybe her parents said, you will be doctor. You are from a long line of the Betty Martini clan. We're going to name you doctor. But after... Completing the first 17 steps, you now learn that you have created medicine made by someone who's not a doctor, but it is their own data research. So that has to speak for something. And really, the fact that step 18 informs you that this is not medical in any way, shape, or form should let you know that the previous 17 steps are not steps on how to make this drug. You're like, wait a second. Wait, what going on? Imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine I had a recipe for chocolate cake. And step one goes, step one. Mm-mm-mm, I love chocolate cake. It's so yummy. Step two. And if you love chocolate cake too, you're going to love this recipe. Step three. The long and storied history of chocolate cake goes back thousands of years. We don't even get to a recipe until step 14. The first 13 steps are talking about the history of hydrochloroquine. Oh, there, I think I actually pronounced it correctly that time. And like what it can do, the fact that it's an anti-malarial drug. Don't put those don't put those as steps in your recipe. Right? I'm not saying you don't I'm not, don't I'm not saying you shouldn't include background information on a drug you're about to create in your own house, but that's not steps. It's really really weird. I think they put it down as step 1, step 2. So it looks more complicated than it actually is. Because really, it boils down to about three steps. And one of them is boiling. So again, just skip to this part. Step one, you need to get three lemons and three grapefruit. You know you're in for real medicine when it only involves two types of fruit. You take three lemons and three grapefruits. You peel the the skin off them or the rinds or whatever you call it. And you boil it in three inches of water. So you have like, well, to be, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I know this is super technical and some of you guys are going to do it at home. You have to have three inches of water above the rinds. I got to get it right, right? You throw the rinds in a pot, you fill three inches of water above the rinds and then you let it simmer in a pot with lid, put the lid on for two hours. And what you're doing is you're creating something. I don't know if this is true, but this is what they're saying. You're creating something called quinine. Quinine is an antimalarial drug that's in tonic water, and it is chemically close to, but not exactly like, very, very important, not exactly like hydrochloroquine. So you basically what these previous 12 steps were saying was like, step seven, by the way, hydrochloroquine is the same thing as quinine, which is something you can get out of tonic water. I don't know why the recipe isn't just step 13, buy a bunch of tonic water and drink that. 
But they're saying because, and it's not the same actually. I did some research on it. It's not the same. It has similar chemical components. Hydrochloroquine is a synthetic version of this that's far, far stronger. But anyways, so if, you, if you're currently being chased by mosquitoes and you're afraid of getting malaria, do not think you can just drink this tea made of grapefruit and lemons. I would go and get the actual anti-malarial drug. But anyways, quinine is what you're trying to create. You boil these lemon rinds and these grapefruit rinds for two hours. And then it says, don't take the pot off the lid. I know you're going to be very tempted. You're going to be very, very tempted to smell uh, the sweet smell of grapefruit and lemon. You have to leave the lid on until you're done cooking. Because if you take the lid off, apparently all the quinine floats away. Is that even possible? Is it possible to make medicine float away? Be like, no, come back, penicillin. Like, I guess maybe I am ignorant. I guess I'm ignorant in the ways of science, but the quinine apparently becomes mist. It comes a little smoky chemicals like floating around, and then it settles back into the water when you take it off the, the frying pan or the oven or whatever it's called. I guess, I guess I can't criticize this recipe if I don't know the name of a stovetop. But you take it off the stovetop, all the little chemicals have gone back to sleep in the water. They're not going to float away. After that, you put in a little bit of sugar or honey. And then every couple hours or so, very precise medical dosage here, every couple hours or so, you just take a little tablespoon. You just reach into your pot of grapefruit and lemon rinds and take a little tablespoon. And you have now invented, according to someone who is not a real doctor but goes by the name Dr. Betty Martini, you have created... Not hydrochloroquine, which is already super controversial whether or not that even has any effect on COVID, right? You're not, you didn't create that. Even though the article is called How to Create Your Own Hydrochloroquine, you didn't create that. But step 13 tells us how to create maybe quinine. And you drink that. And it says continue to take a sip of this every couple hours until the phlegm that's inside your lungs is coming up out of your throat. There you go. And once all that phlegm is gone, once that phlegm that when you have phlegm in your lungs, you are hospitalized. I can understand somebody making some homeopathic useless brew at home and being like, ah, oh, my sore throat's finally gone. And all I had to do was for the past 14 days, have a spoonful of warm honey. It had nothing to do with the sore throat running its course. No, it was the honey that did it. I can understand that. Oh, I have an earache. I'm going to put a candle in my ear. Oh, now my earache's gone, but my head is on fire. If you actually have phlegm inside your lungs, I think you're already hospitalized. I think normally when you're coughing up phlegm, right, it's not in your lungs. It's like in your throat. Ugh. But anyway, so that is a recipe for lemon slash grapefruit rinds, which they say is quinine or quinine, whatever. So there you go. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as a two-step recipe turned into a 19-step recipe by a doctor, not a doctor, involving nothing but grapefruit and lemon rinds. Absolutely bonkers. I've talked about this on other episodes. I don't think people go to the doctor enough. I am pro-doctor, not Dr. Betty Martini. If your doctor is Betty Martini, find a new doctor. But if you've ever wondered how to waste an afternoon, there we go. And you're going, Jason, wait, I thought you said we were doing Inventor's Day. Like, you call that an inventor? The guy's just putting limes and lemons and stuff. That's not really an invention. Well, you know what, Khaki Cube? Let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the air hovercraft. We're leaving behind this laboratory. We're headed deep into the Okefenokee Swamp. <laughs>
the hare hovercraft is hovering over all the swampy waters. Frogs are running for cover. No! And there's like a goose sitting there. I'm not moving. And we run him over. We, we kill that stubborn goose. We have goose for dinner. We're flying in this hovercraft through the Okefenokee Swamp. The date is January 13th, 1900. And this obituary begins appearing in newspapers. Some of them local, some of them national. It's just one of those weird news items that we do have a copy of this obituary for a man called Charles Howard. This 82-year-old man, he passes away, and his obituary shows that his life work is just not complete. Unfortunately, he's passed away. You won't be able to finish it, but maybe someone else will pick up the mantle. In the Okefenokee Swamp in Georgia, Charles Howard, he was a hermit living in the swamp, and he had this little small broken-down hut. <laughs> Imagine it like Yoda. I wonder what he wore. If you were a hermit, would you ever put on clothes? Would you ever be like, ah, oh, it's such a beautiful day. Time to put on pants. I mean, you're a hermit. And you're in the swamp, too. So I think if you put on clothes, you're like, oh, what a nice day. I'm going to go jogging. And you immediately step into muddy water. You're like, aw. And you probably wouldn't wear pants. <laughs> it wasn't stated in this obituary that he just was a streaker. He was just running around. Everything's dangling out. Doesn't say that. <laughs> Doesn't specify his clothing. But I imagine that you would at least wear shorts. You wouldn't wear pants if you lived in the swamp. You're like, Jason, is your only, only idea of a swamp Yoda's house? Yeah, pretty much. I imagine it's just muddy water everywhere. And he has this little hut and he's walking around. But this isn't a fashion podcast, although it should be. He was a weirdo. He was, which, which again, it would be implied. I don't know why I have to say that. He's a hermit living in a swamp. He's a weirdo, though. But people liked him in town. Every so often he'd come into town. I guess that answers the question. He probably did wear pants. He'd come into town and buy supplies. He's like, two pairs of pants, please. They're like, what about food? What about? He's like, ah, no, I got that taken care of. I eat nothing but goose that are run over by hovercrafts. He's walking around. He People know him, but... He was focused on his mission. He was an inventor. He was an inventor. I actually really love this story. It's really cool. 82-year-old dude dies. <laughs> I love it when the elderly die alone in swamps. No, he was this inventor, and he was working on a perpetual motion machine. Everyone needs to have a goal. Everyone needs to have a passion. He was working on a perpetual motion machine. Now, his machine, as much as I think it's really cool that he came up with it and he was working so hard on something, incredibly cruel. <laughs> this machine is incredibly cruel, but fascinating nonetheless. His perpetual motion machine was a giant spinning wheel, and inside it were two huge rats. And they were attached to the device in such a way that they could only run in the wheel. They are basically trapped. They couldn't get out of the wheel. So they would run, and they would run, and they would run, and they would run, and all day they'd run, and they'd start to get panicked. They'd start to get starved. Run, and they run, and they run, and they run, and they run, and he would watch this wheel, and he'd be taking notes. He's running down in the mud. He wakes up. It's high tide. He's like, no, my life's work. He's watching these rats run in this giant wheel, they would run all day and all night until one of them died, and then he would take the corpse rat out, splash, throw it in the water, and he would attach a new rat to it, and the cycle, literally, would continue anew over and over and over again. 
He said the swamp was full of rats. So as far as he was concerned, an endless energy supply. His machine would use up to 100 rats a year. So what is that? Each rat would probably run around for 3.65 days or something like that. <laughs> you like that math? You like that math? He'd run around. <laughs> and he would sit there and he'd be taking notes. And they, he, he, he was not shy about this. Now, nowadays, if you went into town wearing muddy shorts and someone said, hey, what are you up to, Charles? And he's like, oh, I built this machine. It captures, it captures rats. And they run around in a circle until they die. And eventually, I'll create a perpetual motion. You'd get arrested. You'd totally get arrested because the cops want to keep the truth from us. But back then, people were more open-minded about animal abuse. These rats would run around. they go, why are you trying to build this? And he goes, money. He goes, if I can figure out the secret to perpetual motion, I'll be the richest man alive. And the thing is... I'm this close to getting this to work. If I can get this machine to work and these rats run forever, then I'll be rich. I'll be the richest man. I'll be the richest man in the swamp. He says, the only thing I can't figure out is how to feed them without them stopping because then the energy is dispersed. He goes, if I can figure out a way that as they're running, they're getting fed, well, then, baby, this is perpetual motion. And he says this very interesting quote, <laughs> more interesting than being a rat murderer and killing 100 rats a year. And he said, I'm not losing anything by trying to do this. This is my afternoon. I can keep trying to do this. If it works, I'm going to make a ton of money. And if it doesn't work, well, there's just less rats in the world. I can do this. I can get this done. Well, he didn't. We don't live in a world of perpetual motion machines, but he tried. He tried, and that was the thing. He was If he could just figure out that one thing, if he figured out a way to keep the rats eating the whole time, they could always run this wheel. It could run for years instead of days and having to swap out a new rat, and he would have invented perpetual motion. Animal abuse aside, right? considering that's a key component, it's kind of hard to push aside, but animal abuse aside, I love this story because it is about a guy who has a dream, and so often... I think people don't dream big enough. I think people, a lot of people don't dream. They don't allow themselves the opportunity to dream. When they're falling asleep, they're like, oh, I got to throw some tacks on the bed. So before I hit REM sleep, I'll wake myself up. Some people don't allow themselves to dream. Some people allow themselves to dream, but they go, oh, I don't have, my brother's like that a lot. My brother, he would love to write. He comes up with these story ideas. He'd love to write books and stuff like that. But, oh, you know, I got family stuff. Oh, I got work stuff. and that. Also, he's my brother, so he's a terrible writer, right? I got to insult my brothers. But I, I, I say, dude, just do it, right? Just do it. Dream big. Oh, no, I got A lot of people do that. Some people don't dream at all. Then you have a lot of people who dream, but then they say, nope, I can't do it. I don't have the talent. I don't have the time, blah, 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 blah. Dream big. Because this hobo, this bum in the middle of the swamp, yes, he did murder a bunch of rats, but he also had a dream and he put it into motion, no pun intended, every single day. And you just do that. You just do those things. Dream big. That's why I'm a huge proponent of that. Don't just dream, dream big. Because this guy did. And you know what? Every other person who died on this day back in 1900, we don't know who they were. 
<laughs> Unless some world leader, I don't know, maybe a president died back then. But for the most part, like a lot of people, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of people died around this same time, left no legacy. And this guy, this guy at least was, he, he dreamt big enough to leave this legacy behind. A legacy of dead rats and a perpetual motion machine in the middle of a swamp. And then I wonder... Where's this machine now? Did some government operatives go, my, he was close. Maybe we can figure out the rat conundrum and they got this machine. I wonder what happened to it. The rats took it back. They reverse engineer it. There's people running in it right now. They're like, ah, what a horrible hell to be trapped in. Anyways, dream big. Charles Howard, we salute you. <laughs> you love rats. This is so funny. I love this story because it is about just going for it no matter what. But at the end of the day, he murdered a bunch of living things. Like, I'm so not down with killing all these rats. But Charles Howard, we half salute you. We salute you with our fingers crossed behind our back because we don't really mean the salute. I guess it's more insulting. And we salute the rats, too. Let's just salute the little rats. You guys are eating all the cheese in heaven. Khaki Cube, let's hop in that Carpenter Copter. I'm going to toss you the keys, and we are leaving behind Okefenoki Swamp. We are headed all the way out to an alien base. I know when you guys saw the title of this episode, which I haven't titled it yet, but I'm sure it'll be something like, I discovered the secret to UFOs. Um, aliens hate his one simple trick to building their vehicles. I don't know what clickbaity headline I'm going to have. And you're probably thinking, is he going to spend 20, 30 minutes talking about the worst nonsense possible before he gets to what the title of the video is or the episode is? You know the show. Of course I'm going to do that, right? And when we get to the ending, we're sitting at this alien base right here. It's this huge landing pad. We're on the moon. We're sitting there in our spacesuits. I hope you probably brought one. You're all suffocating to death. I'm like, oh, I brought one. Me and Khaki Cube have ours. You didn't bring a spacesuit as you're turning blue. Ah, you can borrow one of ours. We're sitting there on the moon. We're at this alien base. And the answer to this question is so simple. You're going to wish that I... <laughs> you're going to wish I'd covered this in the beginning. It's almost something that I could say in a sentence. But much like Dr. Betty Martini, I feel it needs like a little bit of lead up. But it's not padding. I just think it takes a little bit of lead up to this. I said before on the podcast, and I've believed this for years, when we discover the secret to faster than light travel, it's going to be such a like, oh my God, seriously, it's that simple. I really think it's going to be something like that. I think it's going to be one of those things that, technologically speaking, we kept ourselves from discovering. We just, the answer was so easy that we didn't see it. That's always been a theory of mine. And the, it's funny because the reason why we believe faster than light travel exists as fans of the paranormal is because aliens do it. I think if there was no alien contact, if we had never seen any UFOs, and we didn't think there were other people out there visiting us, when Einstein and when scientists were saying, you can't go faster than the speed of light, I think most people would have go, oh yeah, probably. I think there's a lot of scientific principles. We just go, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. But because we have this ideology, this theory that aliens are visiting us, and they must be traveling faster than light, 
You must be able to do that. If it wasn't for science fiction movies and it wasn't for disbelief in aliens, we would assume that Einstein and the scientists were correct. There's no way to travel faster than the speed of light. We would see ourselves in the cosmos as, oh, we can all, it'll take us 32 years to get to Alpha Centauri or whatever. I've always thought when we do discover that faster than light travel is possible, it will be so easy. We'll be like, damn it. We could have done this way earlier. We really could have done this way, way earlier. So here's my theory. We're sitting here and you guys are going to either be intrigued. <laughs> you guys are either going to be intrigued or you're going to shut the podcast off. We're sitting here at this alien base. And this is my theory I came up with the other day. We see two gray aliens walking out onto the base as well. And the aliens look at us. They kind of give us a, hey, what's up? And we look back. We're like, hey, what's up, bro? And they're standing there for a second. And you see them just concentrating. Now, the platform's completely empty. They're just focusing their mental power. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, we begin to watch a what can only be described as a stereotypical flying saucer begin to materialize on this landing pad. Here's my theory. Wait, I have to explain a little. I have to explain a little bit more. The definition of a UFO, right? Because obviously there's objects in the sky all the time that are explainable. The definition of a UFO, it's not just that it's unidentified. It's that it does things that are against the laws of physics. One, travels faster than the speed of light, presumably because it's traveling from an alien planet. One, it does maneuvers that no human-built vehicle could ever do, like going straight up, super fast making it's not just that we can't identify what it is it's that it does things that breaks the laws of physics if ufos were just things that we'd saw take off fly and land we would assume they were terrestrial we look at these vehicles and they disappear right they'll go full speed underwater like they'll just hit underwater and they should be obliterated we'll see them do maneuvers that no earthbound vehicle could do not just because our engines can't do it but because physics doesn't allow it so a definition of alien craft isn't just that you can't physically identify it by looking at it it does things that a human vehicle cannot do appears and disappears travels at the speed of light defies the laws of physics so how could you build a vehicle like that? We, we certainly cannot build those things. So how are these being built? The law of attraction. It's so simple that it's almost infuriating. But the law of attraction is this. You believe that something has already been created. It's not that you want something. It's that you go, I have $50,000 in my bank account. And you have to truly believe you have $50,000 in your bank account. Now, you continue your life, and it's not that this $50,000 magically appears in your bank account, although some people will say that it can. You know, maybe it's a bank error and they don't catch it and stuff like that, but I'd be cautious of that. But what the law of attraction is you're putting out into the universe, you already have 
$50,000 in your bank account, and you have to truly believe you do. You could be literally spending your last dollar on a ham sandwich from a gas station, but you have to believe you have $50,000 in your account. You have to act like you have $50,000 in your account, and business opportunities will open up. Maybe you'll find something that you can sell for that amount of money. The universe creates what you believe. The law of attraction, that's what the law of attraction is. It's not simply wanting it. It's that you believe you're already having it and live according to the fact that you believe that you already have it. And the universe goes, oh, I guess this is what is real now. And it reforms itself to you. The law of attraction. And we as humans think of it in very, very basic terms. Like money, like relationships, like status. But what's the one thing we always encounter with aliens interacting with humans? They are always, always smarter than us. And you would assume, and I've always assumed, this is a very recent thing I've thought about it, the law of attraction vis-a-vis -vis aliens. I've always assumed whenever these aliens come down, they always do kind of act like there are these ascended masters, right? And I've always thought, well, yeah, you know, they do have such advanced technology if they're getting here, so they probably do know more than us. But it, it's more than that. They have mastered the mental laws of the universe as a society. The law of attraction is done on a human-by-human -human level. Most people don't believe that it exists. And then you have a group of people who believe that exists, but they can't get it to work for them. So they're kind of wavering. And then you have people who not only believe it exists, they know it exists. They believe it existed before they even heard it. And that is why the law of attraction came into their life. And they begin utilizing it. And then some people do it without even trying. Some people just seem lucky. They're using this law of attraction. And this is the way humans do it. They do it on a very singular level. But if you had an alien culture that accepted the law of attraction like we accept the law of gravity and the law of perpetual motion and things like this not existing. It has to eventually energy decays, but we have our thermodynamic laws. We understand these laws. But if alien races go, yeah, that's all well and good, thermodynamics and gravity, these are laws, but there's another law as well, the law of attraction, they could simply believe they had a ship that was faster than light, that could defy all other laws, and then that ship will be provided to them. If I want $50,000 in my bank account, I can believe I have $50,000 in my bank account, but I also know in the back of my head I don't have $50,000 in my bank account, so when I go out to lunch, I'll sometimes check my account to find out that I have enough money for lunch. But the alien, once you have ascended so much as a society, the doubt is gone. Once you see that the law of attraction truly works, then you have no doubt. And if we were taught as children that the law of attraction was a basic scientific principle, imagine if you were taught that from age four. You, you might think the world would be chaos because then you'd have four-year-olds wanting to be Superman and they'd all be flying around. And how are you going to discipline someone who can punch a hole through a building? Uh, well, it's a little more complicated than that, I know. but you would have a society that would know what it is capable of as a species. And again, maybe you can't do that with humans because we have so much 
we 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 do seem to be a very very vicious species okay we we just do unfortunately but imagine if you were taught that imagine if everyone was taught from grade school that this was possible and i'm not saying everyone would be able to master it and people would still scoff at it but for the most part it was considered a law alongside the law of physics as a society as an entire civilization you could say we want vehicles that are going to be faster than light and we believe that we already own these vehicles that are faster than light that let us travel from our planet to any living planet in the blink of an eye they would get those vehicles the universe would provide the vehicles to them because they believed they already had those vehicles They've truly ascended past the physical to the metaphysical. To the point that the metaphysical is part of their day-to-day physical life. It's an answer so simple, it sounds dumb. It sounds dumb. But it makes sense. Because the one thing that we can look about aliens is they have more technology than us. And... They seem more connected. When I was saying they seem smarter, they seem more connected to the universe. Humans are constantly asking aliens about things like life after death and God. And we've had so many different answers with those things. But no one has ever asked an alien about the law of attraction. As far as I can tell, that's never happened. But when they talk about God and they talk about religion, and they, even though they have a multitude of different answers, it's a very, very interesting thing. And But why, right? If I went to Bulgaria and asked the dude, so what do you think about God? And I came back and was like, guys, stop the presses. I met some weird, <laughs> met some weird dude in Bulgaria and you won't believe what he said about God. You'd be like, who cares what some random dude says? But if I told you an alien told me about God, it carries more weight. Why? Because we do assume they're more connected to everything in reality, not just higher technology, not just higher intelligence, but higher spiritual intelligence. It's super weird, but think about it. Think about it. We talk about that all the time on this show, and people do often ask aliens, so what about God? Because we assume that they are not just mentally ascended, but spiritually ascended. I believe that this could be the key. That UFOs, the reason why they're able to do whatever they want is because of the law of attraction. They do whatever they want because the aliens have crafted them to do whatever they want. These vehicles, think about it, they have no rivets. They're just assault. They defy everything we know about the physical world. The law of attraction would allow those things to happen. Some UFOs controlled with a single button. It can go anywhere it wants to with a single button. Other things have control panels. Why? Because the controls are based on what that civilization really thinks should be in there. It, these things defy the law of physics. Therefore, are they built in the world of the metaphysics? Are these things created by aliens that truly understand the law of attraction? They believe that they have this vehicle that can do this. So the universe creates this vehicle for them. And like I said, the human law of attraction, if I say that I have $50,000 in my bank, the universe starts working through the pathways that humans have already built. So it will open up business opportunities for me. Maybe I'll meet someone who's looking to hire someone and I'm going to get this job and I'll get $50,000. It's based on the rivers and the roads that humans have created. That is how the money comes to you. But if the aliens have a much more advanced rivers and road system, 
the vehicles may just simply materialize. Or maybe it's not as magical as my example was set. Maybe they just believe they have the vehicle and they have to use their infrastructure and their science to build this. But if they believe their science is smart enough to do this, then their science is smart enough to do this. So on and so forth. I know this might be a super controversial opinion. I know people may not like it, right? This is, I really think that this could explain why UFOs exist and how they do what they do. And we're not just technologically behind the times. We're spiritually behind the times. And I'm not saying that in a, in a God way. I'm saying that, again, in that metaphysical way. It could also be why we've never really been able to successfully re-engineer one of these things from top to bottom. We might have been able to take some ideas off of them, but for the most part, we have not built working UFOs in the way that they are built there because we don't believe we can. We believe the technology is so far advanced and our little brains can't open up to the belief that we already have technology that advanced. Therefore, we have these UFOs. And Or is this just... A theory, right? I mean, technically, yes, it is just a theory, but I think it's a really valid one. The law of attraction has been mastered by all of our alien neighbors, and it's almost like they're waiting for us to catch up to them. And the idea is so simple. There's been dozens of books written on it. Two, two work, two are really good, but there's been dozens of other mediocre books written on it. I recommend It Works and The Science of Getting Rich. Those are my two favorite books. And and the truth was there. The secret was there all along. We just didn't believe. We made the problem far more complicated than it had to be. We could be traveling faster than light by the end of the year if we believed that we were already cruising the cosmos, not just as an individual, but as a collective. Maybe the only thing holding us back from joining our cosmic brothers and sisters is our own mental limitations. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.